What's going on, guys? I'm Obes. And I'm Cha. And this is Run the Play, the show that's sports, sports, and more sports. Football and basketball mainly, but if there's anything happening in the wild world of sports, we'll talk about it. Cha, what do we have first? First up, we got to talk about this past weekend in college football. First game that really that caught my attention was that uh, Friday night matchup that um, Duke at Virginia Tech. Did you see that game? I did see that game. And um, so you and I both picked Duke to beat Virginia Tech. Yes. That game was, that game was at Blacksburg, Virginia. I was not expecting Duke to just run roughshod over Virginia Tech the way that they did. That was really impressive. Duke's quarterback, I don't know how they got a black quarterback in there. <laughs> um, but, yo, shout out to him. He's getting a great education. <laughs> and he's out, here, he's out here whooping up on folks. So, you know, so you got to respect that. You got to respect that. You know, I actually did see this coming in a way. Because I remember at the beginning of the season, after the Alabama after Alabama kind of spanked Duke, I had told people, I said, Duke is going to be a problem this year. You know, you I, I, I saw, because even though, because Alabama is just a dominant team, but even though they were dominant, I saw flashes of what Duke can do. And I was like, you know what? Against like a, Duke, a team that's not Alabama or Clemson for that matter, Duke is probably going to, probably going <laughs> to run up the score a little bit or, you know, just be up, just cause, cause issues for teams. I just, it, it's taken David Cutcliffe some time to get Duke to the point where they're at now, where they are, you know, they have the depth across on both sides of the ball. They got, they have the level of athletes that you would expect a team that's looked the way they have so far this year to look. But it's one of those things where when you can get those guys in there and everybody is immersed in the culture and, Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing, what they need to be doing. Then you can really have some success. And that, that's what we're seeing with Duke right now. Even even though they got smacked by Alabama, they did not look they didn't, they didn't look scared. They were just overmatched. And what we're seeing now is a team that's like, we're not afraid to play anybody. We can play against anybody, and, we'll, and we're going to bring it against anybody. And that's, that's really what, what you want to see in any game that, that you see, in any game that's played. So the next game that happened, well, the other game I should say that happened on Friday night, worth really watching, watching was uh, Penn State at Maryland, which, I mean, I guess ultimately it wasn't worth watching, but we all thought it was worth watching when we when we started the game. At least I did. Yeah, we got that. So we we those two those two Friday games, we were one and one, right? <laughs> so we both picked Duke to beat Virginia Tech, but we picked uh, Maryland. I thought it'd at least be close, but. <laughs> Okay, first of all, I underestimated Penn State's offense. Those guys mm-hmm. are really hitting on all cylinders right now. Um, after that, well, after the week before when they struggled, I guess. And here's what I didn't take into account. Penn State has lost to Maryland twice in their history. So they've played, let's see, it was 39-2-1, now 42-1. They've played 43 times. Maryland has won twice. The last of which was in the 80s. 
So there's nobody on that team that's ever seen Maryland beat Penn State. Maryland has always been dominated by Penn State. Had I remembered that when we were talking about that game, there's no way I would have picked Maryland. See, I just thought I didn't. I hadn't seen Penn State actually impress me on offense, and I thought the Temple game was a fluke. So now what I think is this is who Maryland actually is because I don't think Penn State is a 600-yard offense. I don't think they're uh, – I don't even think they're like a 40-point offense. I still don't think that. I just think Maryland is that bad. And I, and I think we got, we got tricked those first two games where they dropped – which I mean they dropped 70 and 60 and then dropped – well, and then at Temple, they only scored, like, what, 17 or 17. something? And then yeah. today, or Friday night, they scored zero. So, I guess everything regresses to the mean. Going in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. The wrong to direction. To say the least. Mm. So, then the, the next game I really wanted to, to key in on was uh, Rutgers at Michigan. Because I wanted to see if Michigan would bounce back and how hard they would bounce back. Because I thought they had a lot to prove after getting spanked by Wisconsin. And we saw Michigan um, blow them out. What did you think of that game? I was so Rutgers is not good. They True. should not. True. They should not have been admitted into the Big Ten. No. But you're supposed to blow teams out like that mm-hmm. when you play against the Rutgers when you're when you're quote unquote Michigan. So if you're a Michigan fan, you have to like that they, that the team bounced back the way that they did. They won fifty two to nothing. Even the second string didn't give up any points. That's exactly what you want to see. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean that they're going to be strong against an Ohio State? No. Against the Michigan State? Well, it depends on which Michigan State team shows up. We'll talk yeah. about that more in a second. Uh, but I don't, I don't foresee Michigan being. I don't, I don't look at them as being like this is. We're strong now, right? Mm-hmm. They. They look garbage against Wisconsin, who then looked garbage yesterday in their game against Northwestern. A Northwestern team that Michigan State thoroughly dominated on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. So it, it 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 does it does show you that they have not Michigan hasn't given up on the season, but I don't think it shows you too much more than that. Okay. Delaware at Pitt. And the reason why I bring it back up was because, you know, the last couple of episodes I was telling Pitt you know, take it easy on my dudes. And it looks like they took it to heart. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I was so excited to see to see Delaware almost beat Pitt. I'm sitting on Twitter, I'm like, bruh, can we do this? <laughs> can we do this? No, we couldn't do it. No. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you what, the fact that it was 14 to 10 Delaware. For a big chunk of the fourth quarter, had me really excited. I was yeah. very happy. I was very pleased with how my Blue Hens played. They played better against Pitt than they did against North Dakota State. <laughs> Although maybe North Dakota State is better than Pitt. Maybe uh, it's knows? possible. North Dakota State. There's a decent chance they'll win national championship again this year. So mm-hmm. no shame in that losing that game. But yeah, I was I was very pleased with how. Delaware acquitted themselves against Pitt. So shout out to Delaware Fighting Blue Hens. I went to school there for two and a half years. That's where China and I originally from, Newark, Delaware, which is where the University of Delaware is. So yeah, shout out to the Fighting Blue Hens, which are which is a real animal. A lot of people don't know that. Real animal. And they're very vicious. Clemson yes. at North Carolina. This game surprised me. 
So Cha actually picked North Carolina to beat Clemson. There wasn't any analysis or anything. He just said, fuck it, that's, this is what's going to happen. And it almost <laughs> did. It almost did. So Clemson wins 21-20 because they stopped the two-point conversion attempt at the end of the game. Because Mac Brown is like, look, I'm old. Like, we're going to build this program. We're going to have to win big games like this. So fuck, we're going for the win. We're not going to. Because what happens is, I feel like people don't take it into account enough. When you play against an opponent with superior talent, the longer the game goes on, the greater chance that the superior talent has to win out. Mm-hmm. So in essence, you have to shorten the game if you want to win as the underdog. And a way that you shorten a football game is by winning in regulation rather than taking your chances with overtime. And Mac Brown's a smart guy. He knows that. So that's exactly what they try to do. And they, om- they almost got it done. They almost got it done. Charles almost on here like, see, I told y'all niggas, but no, it's not Honestly, not I forgot I even picked North Carolina to win that game. I, that, that's I how remember, little thought I gave it. As soon as I saw that Clemson wasn't blowing them out, I was like, shit, Sean might have been right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, but I mean, it's just like, it, like North Carolina is a pretty good team. And it's one of those games that Clemson is probably just overlooks. You know, it's, it's just, it's just, you, you, you can kind of predict the teams that that those those um really good teams will struggle against just based off of the 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 order of the schedule and how good the the team they're about to face is versus their actual ranking. So North Carolina is unranked, but I know they're like they're coached by a really good coach. I know they actually got some players on this team. It's just like anybody that's not taking them seriously, they gonna it's gonna be a close game. You know, just, you, you can do that with a lot of teams, honestly. The other part. And it's something that I've noticed since week one of this season is that Trevor Lawrence looks like hot garbage this year relative to how he played last year. He was incredible last season. Like I said, people were talking about he was better than Deshaun Watson at Clemson. I think we all see now that's not the case. But it's very weird. It's like so he came in as a freshman. His mechanics were perfect. He had such a great touch on all of us. I don't think I saw him throw a bad pass last season. I feel like he routinely throws bad passes this year. And when he throws interceptions, they're, they're terrible interceptions. It's not like like the defender's making an incredible play to make the pick. He's like throwing the ball right to the defender when he throws interceptions. He's already thrown more picks this year than he had all of last year. And it makes me wonder, what was he doing in the offseason that he's regressed so much? I made a joke that he spent too much time in Bible camp and not enough time reading his playbook. <laughs> I w- it's based off like I went on his Instagram. He has a lot of posts talking about being like all kinds of religious things. So that uh, that was that 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 joke is rooted in truth. Uh, but the other part is there's a decent chance that he was getting better quarterback coaching in high school than uh, he's getting now at Clemson. I was actually about to ask you about the quarterback coaching. Yeah, I would bet he was because I mean, and you see that a lot of places. These really these highly ranked quarterbacks come in as true freshmen and light it up. And then the next year they don't they look like different people. And I think a big part of it, like 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 for instance, Kyle Allen, when he was a, a true freshman at Texas AM, that was the best he ever looked in college. Cause he was working with all these expensive quarterback coaches in high school. Then you get to college and the coaches want you to only work with the college quarterback coach. Well, that guy's not as good as the person you were just paying thousands of dollars to coach you. And now all of a sudden you regress. Your technique's not as sharp as it was, and you're not as effective as you were that first year. And I think now 
the quarter, the college quarterback coaches get offended when you know the players go to work out with these these uh, paid quarterback tutors. But I think it's in your best interest if you have the resources to spend the summer working out with a professional quarterback coach as opposed to just your college quarterback coach. And my thing what is, do you, what do you think? Well, I think, um, well, if the college quarterback coach typically is also the offensive coordinator. I feel like it's in, in my opinion, it might be in the best interest of everybody that he get if the if the resources allow it to get a private quarterback coach because then the offensive coordinator can focus on making the offense better, and and then and also the offensive offensive coordinator can also, I guess the offensive staff in general can also have like a preference of which quarterback coach to go to, or you know like they they can sort of figure it out together. It's like okay, this quarterback coach. Um, I like how he teaches. I like what he does, or da da da, and come to that because yeah, and and that's the same. That's the same way you can do. We can kind of apply that with a lot of positions, but quarterback especially is it's a very specialized position. Not everybody can coach quarterback. Not not all quarterback coaches are created equal, and some some offensive coordinators aren't actually great quarterback coaches. Which I don't know why they just. They kind of force OCs to be the quarterback coach as well, because some OCs kind of come from a receiver background or come from like a running backs background, and then all of a sudden they say, "Oh, you got to coach quarterbacks now." Why? That never smart made sense. Coaches, to me. Smart coaches don't do that. So, for example, Mark D'Antonio does not allow his offensive coordinator to also be the quarterback coach. But yeah, smart. So, like, so, so when when Dave Warner, who is the best quarterback coach that Michigan State maybe has ever had, when he became the offensive coordinator, he had to give up coaching quarterbacks and coach running backs. Mm. And then they moved Brad Salem to coach from running backs to coach quarterbacks. That didn't make now, sense. Now, I don't think that was a good... That, that's one of the situations where I feel like you, he should have kept the OC with coaching the quarterbacks because mm. Dave Warren is the best quarterback coach they had. But generally have. speaking, that would But generally been, speaking, yeah. you probably shouldn't have your OC also be the quarterback coach. Mm-hmm. So the next game, that remember I, I told y'all that two thirty lineup was kind of stacked. So uh, the next game was Virginia at Notre Dame. Notre Dame's good, man. Yeah, Notre Dame's good. It's really that simple, and they and they they showed it. They they put a whooping on Virginia, thirty five to twenty. Notre Dame has had black quarterbacks for the past like few years, huh? Isn't their quarterback right now white? I don't know. Ian I, Book, yeah, it's a white guy. Oh, he's a white dude. See, I thought he was light skinned. Nope, he's no. white. See how see how much see how little attention I paid to Notre Dame. Indiana at Michigan State. So this is a weird rivalry, Indiana Michigan State, because it seems like no matter how good a defense Michigan State has, they always struggle with Indiana's offense. And it doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is for Indiana. At one point, it was Kevin Wilson. He was the head coach and also called the plays. And he he got fired for abusing players, and he ended up at Ohio State. He's not there anymore, but I don't think. But then he left, and the dude Tom Allen is the head coach now. He's more of a defensive minded head coach, but he has a really good offense going as well. They just I, I don't know what it is. They just hit Michigan State with quick passes. Michigan State, I guess that's that's their sort of defense's kryptonite is those quick passes. It, and then also the secondary play in Michigan State this year is not up to its normal standard. So they have strong, they have really good safeties. They have really good linebackers. 
They have p- perhaps the best defensive line in college football. Definitely the best defensive line in the Big Ten. And but their corners are just bad. Even the guy that's supposed to be their all-world corner, Josiah Scott, he got abused yesterday against Indiana. So the tune like Michigan State gave up 31 points. Two of those touchdowns were on Josiah Scott. On one of them, he just got burned in coverage. On the other one, their wide receiver is like 6'4. Julie just boxed him out, called the ball over him. Didn't even have to jump. He was just like, nah, get that, get that out of my face. Little nigga, I'm catch this football. It's and I'm sitting there. Josiah Scott is like 5'10, maybe 5'10 and a half. He's trying to cover a 6'4 receiver. It's like 6'4 is like 225. It's a big guy. You have to know that if you wait for the ball to come to you, you're never going to beat that guy to the ball. It's just not going to happen. He's too much bigger than you. You have to get in front and try to force the issue, whether it's intercepting the ball or knocking down or what have you. And he just didn't do it. And I know they coached him to do that because I've he's seen him and other corners make those plays. Like He's done that before. So, like, I don't know. Hopefully it was just a bad game for him and for the rest of the secondary because Ohio State's yeah. coming in next week. And Maybe they'll look at ahead. I hope that was the case. <laughs> and what's funny is that the offense actually played fairly, like, pretty well, I thought. Yeah, I 34 thought the points. Off- and, and the reason why they didn't score more is because they didn't get the ball in the second half. In the um, third quarter, not the whole second half, but the third quarter, like, they got the ball Yeah, Indiana had the ball time. for 13 minutes Yes, in the third quarter. So, like, so I can't even say, oh, Michigan State's offense didn't score enough points. Like, no, they didn't. The defense didn't give them a chance to score enough points. That was the— Yeah. The, yeah, so that, that was a shock to me. Had the offense— Showed up, they did what they had to do, and the defense just didn't. Although I will say, so Michigan State, what they do right now is they script the first drive of the game. Mm-hmm. And you notice they've come out and looked amazing the first drive of each game of the season. I think they might have scored on every drive, every first drive of each game of the se- this season. And it's like, all right, well, if you can script it like that, why don't we just script every drive? <laughs> like, I mean, you, like, you, you really like, can't. I don't, I don't know. You really can't script coaches every don't. drive, though. You have to make you have to make the adjustments because after that first drive, the defense, they're, they're, the other team is going to adjust. So you have to kind of have to adjust on the fly after that. But okay, why don't you why don't you plan out? Why don't you plan for for potential adjustments? I understand in your scripting, but I don't know. I, I have I haven't seen a coach script every play, every every drive. Excuse me. I just know, and look, we've, we've talked about how I don't think football coaches are very smart, right? <laughs> I've, I think I'm on record of having said that multiple times on this show and the Chicken Social. But look, if you, if, you, if you can script it that well, drive one, how about we say, go to the defensive coaching staff and say, okay, based on what I just did with this set of plays, what would you do to adjust? What are three things you would do to adjust to that? And then have a script for the next drive based off those adjustments. Okay, how would you adjust to that? Right? Plan out the game so you're not like flying blind when you get into the actual situation. Maybe I'm weird. <laughs> and maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe they, to be planned they out do like something that. similar to that, but maybe it's just not as scripted as you'd like it to be. That's what I'm thinking. Probably. But nothing is ever as scripted as, as, as I would like it to be. But that, that, that's, that's just me. That's just my own thing. I have to get over it. What's next? Uh, last game that I care. Well, last game we're going to talk about in this segment is Houston at North Texas. Okay. Very pleasantly surprised by Houston. 
this game. Look like all the things we've been trying to work on for the most. We still passing game is still not where I would like it to be. Although Clayton Toon, uh, by just by the number in terms of completions and attempts, was much better. And he was sixteen for twenty or twenty-one. He had less than two hundred yards though, so clearly it was like shorter passes. Our our downfield passing game is still not where it needs to be. Uh, well, we are running the ball very well. I like that. It's great to see. UH be able to run the ball when we have not been able to do so the last few years. And I liked what I saw on special teams. Marquez Stevenson took one back for a touchdown on a kickoff return. Looking like like a burner like he is. He's so fast. He's so fast. He's going he to the fast, league fast. after this year. You know he is. He really might. He's he's really good. He's, he's so fast. And then Bryson Smith, who it's a shame that you didn't work out for him at quarterback. But I tell you what, that guy... He took a punt back for a touchdown. He looked so fluid on the punt return. Those two, as returner specialists, are just that's that's good money, man. <laughs> I hope oh, we can really? find ways to get them more active uh, as the season progresses in, in the return game. But yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm really pleased. And the defense played, you know, pretty well eh. considering North, North Texas quarterback Mason Fine is very very good. He's very good. And they, I mean, he could, they didn't shut him. He still had 300 yards passing and two touchdowns, no picks. But the, to hold the hold that offense to 25 points is impressive, considering you know some things that we've had to we've had to deal with in previous weeks. And then for the offense to put up 32 points, so we had 14 off of special teams, like I said, that's pretty good, especially for for Clayton Toon being in his first start of the season on the road. Uh, it was a good game plan and. I, I'm pleased with it. I didn't get to see it. I was out and about. I saw I the game. Clayton Toon was I. Right. He was great on the ground. He was I. Right. Yeah, he had a hundred yards rushing. You know what I'm he was pretty right. good. I saw the first half. Uh, the for one for one, the game was on Facebook Watch. You know, presented by CBS Sports on Facebook Watch. Which damn, um, Kit Ran, who's you know in the interview uh, in this episode, he was telling me on Twitter. That that has to do with Conference USA's terrible TV deal that they have right now, but that game was actually shot very well. I, I it was very clear because I had it on the Chromecast. You know, it was very clear, very crisp. You know, I, I could they had all the camera angles. You know, from the which is not always true when you watch on like ESPNU and stuff like that. Uh, it was, it looked it looked kind of 4K ish. I'm not gonna lie. Look 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 look, look kind of 4K ish. And uh, and honestly, if if they can shoot all college games like this, that'd be great. But they won't. But anyway, yeah, I I like the running game and passing game. I did not like the. But you know what? It's a win. It's a win. I thought they were gonna lose, and they won. So can't the passing game probably is not gonna be where we want it to be this season. No, to be no. perfect, to be perfectly it, it, frank, it, it's not. But it if won. we can run the ball, so we had two hundred and fifty-eight rushing yards, a little yes. over. Almost 300 rushing yards. If we can average 300 yards rushing a game, we'll be we'll be in great shape. And honestly, we have we have the horses to do it. We do. If we, if we can if we can if we can also if we can avoid some injuries on the O line, like our starting center is out for the season now, mm. Raylon Jones. So if we if we can avoid some of those injuries, I think we'll be we'll be good. By the way, there's a lot of people named Braylon. Where did the, where did that name Braylon? Come I from? don't know. Maybe a lot of kids named Braylon. Maybe it's like Braylon was the original name. I don't know. Or maybe black people made it up. I don't know. It's dope, though. I like it's it. Great, I, I haven't met a bad football player named Braylon yet, to be honest. 
Me neither. Me neither. So it's one of those names. If you want your kid to be good at sports, you give them that name. Braylon, Jalen, however you want to spell Jalen. Jay. There's so many ways to spell Jalen. Make sure you pick a good one. Your kid will be good at sports. <laughs> J-A-L-E-N is a really good one right now. Also, J-A-Y-L-O-N is a good one. So, Washington State played number 19, Utah, at 9 p.m. yesterday. We were recording on Sunday on Fox Sports 1. So, for one, it's at a time that nobody's trying to watch the game. And two, it's on a channel that nobody is trying to watch it on. So, I did not see the game. But I saw the post-game press conference after, you know, Washington State lost because Washington State's not as good as we thought they were. And we heard Mike Leach say this. Well, we're a very soft team, you know. We get a lot of good press. We like to read it a lot. Uh, We like to pat ourselves on the back, Um, you know. And if we get any resistance, we fold. And what's amazing about this is um, uh, most of these guys were on the same team last year that was a tough team. Last year's team was a tough team for us. Um, and uh, we got nearly the same guys, and now all of a sudden they're not tough. You know, they're fat, dumb, and happy and entitled. So I think we've got a bunch of free agents running around there that think they're pretty special. And then, you know, as soon as something doesn't go their way, they want to pout. So I, I, think, I think it's more collectively soft. I think they've... I really think that over the off season, despite the fact we had incredibly hard work in the, <clears throat> and we did work hard in the off season, and we worked hard in camp, um, then I think we get to the season, and I think um, some collection of sitting around the apartments all the time, talking about how great we're going to be, eventually it evolves to how easy it's going to be, and then as soon as we face resistance, I mean, you know, we we, we don't even fight it. Yeah, we didn't fight it today. So, Oz, what did you think of that? It's uh, it's really rich to see a college coach rip his players publicly, call them fat, dumb, and entitled. Okay. Who's in charge of the conditioning program? Coach, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Who's in charge of who gets recruited? The coach, right? Yeah. Who's in charge of who actually plays in the games? It's the coach, right? Yeah. Right? But here he is talking about and like let's break let's break it let's break down exactly what he's actually saying, not just the words that he used, but what he's actually saying. These people that I brought in here that I myself chose each one of these players are fat, dumb and entitled. Basically, call them lazy as well. You call somebody uh, fat. Like you call an athlete fat because you, you shouldn't be as an athlete. You should be working out and eating right. Just call them lazy. Just call them stupid. Call them entitled. Well, bro, like you brought in all these people, right? They're also not getting paid. So, like, they're, you know, they're, as we like to say, they're, they're student athletes. They're supposed to be focused on the books. Okay. This football thing is just on the side. <laughs> since, 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 they're not, since they're not getting paid, so I, I, I thought it was—I thought it was ridiculous that he would make that type of statement. Also, clearly your game plan wasn't that great 
You're getting smoked by Utah like this. Now, Utah is very, very good. Utah is very good. Their quarterback had over 10 yards in attempt last night, no turnovers. He's the real deal. Washington State, they can't run the ball. They couldn't really run the ball that well against us either. But they were able they but they they tore up our second. You know, it's hard to run the ball when you don't have any tight ends. Ever. It's true. It's true. It's true. They just look Washington State's ran to a better team. <laughs> that happens. That doesn't mean that your players are fat, dumb, and entitled. It means you need to coach better and perhaps recruit better. But you're trying to recruit black people to Pullman, Washington. Not even like the cool city, Seattle. Pullman. I ain't going to know goddamn Pullman, Washington for any reason. So if you're out here attacking people who are willing to do that, I think you're, you're doing a disservice to yourself and to your program. What would you think? I think it's unfortunate that all those beat writers in the room, not, none of them really challenged him. And I understand because you get a lot of access to the team as a beat writer. And if you quote-unquote, offend the coach. Uh, it's hard to keep that access. It's hard to maintain that access, and then you end up ultimately losing your job because if you don't have the access, you can't write good stories, you can't write good articles, and the your publication will eventually drop you. But at some point, somebody has got to just you know ask that question, well, how much of this falls back on you, coach? How much like um do you think there, or just you know do you think there's anything wrong with the game plan things like that those kind of questions because and keep pushing those kind of questions every week because it's not it's just not fair to just let somebody just say oh it's the player's fault when you're the one like like you said Obes you're the one who brought in these players you're the one who's coaching these players you you even said yourself that. They had a great they had a great off season that they worked hard in the off season. Okay, so what's the difference between the off season and the season? What changed? What what about the culture, the environment has changed that the players aren't maybe they aren't playing to their full potential anymore. Maybe they're not as motivated to play under you anymore. What happened? What changed? That's the that's really what you need to be asking yourself as a coach. You need to find that answer. You can't assume the answer. You can't say, oh, they're just standing around the apartment apartments and being lazy. I'm like, you know what? If I had to, you know, go to go to practice at like 5 a.m. to lift and then, uh, you know, do that, eat breakfast with the team and stuff, then go um, to, I don't know, film study and go to class then go to study hall then go to the back to the, you know, field house and do some more stuff, then go back to class and then do some more study hard and go practice in the afternoon and then uh, go eat with the team and basically just be either in class or with the team the whole entire day. By the time it comes to like any type of free time I get, I'm not doing anything. I'm chilling. Would you, would you want them to, to, to study the playbook too in their free time? instead? You know, like, no, that's ridiculous. And they're, they're doing all this for free. So you have to figure out what is wrong with your culture, what's wrong with the environment, why is morale low, that you feel like they're not giving the best effort that th- that you believe they can give, because obviously you believe as a coach, you believe that they 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 can they have more in the tank than what they're giving on the field. So instead of just saying oh they're lazy, which gets gets nobody nowhere, all you're doing is insulting people. But all you're doing is bringing morale lower. All you're doing is making these guys hate you. Instead, you should figure out why what's going on, why 
why is it why is this happening? You need to step back and examine everything that's going on and figure out what it is. That's what a good coach does. That's what a coach uh that doesn't get fired off of coach misconduct does. You really walked right into that coach misconduct thing too. Like like well, people told him not to take that 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 James boy, and he did anyway. It wasn't it wasn't even good. Like don't don't take players that aren't good on your football team. I think that's the lesson we should all learn. But yeah, uh, Urban Meyer I think captured the best when he was talking about Michigan last week. He said all those players you recruited they're good players. The coaches you have they wouldn't have gotten to where they are. Unless it's like extreme nepotism, it wouldn't have gotten to where they are if they couldn't coach. So you have to lift, you have to go under the hood and figure out what's happening, what's going wrong. To your point, it's not a matter of it's all the players' fault. It's not a matter of it's all the coaches' fault. Something is going wrong, and we have to be honest with ourselves as the coaching staff and as players. Mostly the coaching staff, though; those are the ones getting paid, and figure out what's going wrong. How can we fix it and get our season back on track? That's what Washington State needs to do. This week, our good friend Kit Ren, you've seen him on Twitter at Kit Talk Sports. He's also, he's guest number two. He's also the second guest that was also on both the Chicken Social and on the play. Kit, how's it going, man? It's going pretty good. It's a beautiful sunny day here in El Paso. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not quite sunny here. It's not not sunny, but it's not like like it rained and he's giving me PTSD from uh, the last <laughs> flood that we had. But you know it's it's going fine. We're still not underwater right now. So you had made some really interesting points about how difficult it is to for football players to get into the professional Hall of Fame. Um, I think a lot of that was driven by this discussion about whether or not um, Jason Witten of Dallas Cowboys fame should get in. Um, I guess, first of all, do you think, because it's two separate questions, right? It's, it's do mm-hmm. you think he should get in, and then will he get in? I think we're probably in agreement on the will he get in, which we'll talk, touch on in a second. But do you think he should get in? Uh, well, I definitely used to. Uh, but since I've been studying this closely, I think it's a bit harder to justify. But in general, I'm a big Hall of Fame kind of guy. There are 40 people I would put in tomorrow if they let me. So I would have no problem <laughs> if Jason Witten ends up getting in. But right. uh, given the uh, current the current state of the ballot and the way the ballot's going to look in, a, in five or six years or whenever he retires, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really hard to justify that vote. Now, why is that? Well, the Pro Football Hall of Fame only takes – Five modern candidates, that's people that retire between five and 25 years ago. Uh, So it's between 1994 and 2014 at a time. It's hit that max, that maximum every year for the last five years, for the last 10 or 15 years. And there's always a backlog. There's always someone else that also deserves to go in. It's hard to get the, you pull up the, uh, the initial ballot, that's the stage they're at now, where it's basically anyone that meets that retirement deadline and someone cared enough to write a letter about them in. You know, so you have uh, the only really slam dunk first year guy, Troy Polamalu, but you also have people that just someone wrote a letter in, like Dave Craig. Uh, there are still a couple of fullbacks that keep 
getting put on every year. God bless whoever it is that keeps putting the fullbacks on the Pro <laughs> Football Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, and it's you look at these 124 names or 122, I think this year, and they're all at a minimum multiple time Pro Bowlers. They're all at a minimum names you remember. Uh, pretty much every kicker and punter that's worth remembering from the last 35 years is on that, and they all have no chance, basically. It's going to be really hard for the voters to even get it to the next step, which is 25 uh, candidates, and then from there to 15, and then from there to 10, and then from there to final five. And it's someone always ends up getting left out. Uh, and like to take a recent example, Terrell Owens had to sit out a couple of years, uh, pay a little pain in the ass tax. He took that a little personally and ended up skipping out on Canton. And I was never upset about that, even though on the merits, he's a first ballot guy. But it's not like it's not like the Baseball Hall of Fame where Barry Bonds is still out, but Harold Baines got in. You understand? There's always there's always a surplus of worthy candidates. And so these snubbings that happen aren't really snubbings. They're just a statement of priorities in a given year. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I think some of the things you said that, that really caught my attention when I first saw it on Twitter was about how thing, how the, how the sort of vantage point changes as time goes on. So you have somebody like Jason Witten. I think he has a bunch of Cowboys records in terms of number of catches and yards and all that. And mm -hmm. you could make the case right now, probably, that, oh, well, based on the number of catches he has relative to other tight ends, he should get in. Mm -hmm. But if you had made that argument, let's say Jason Witten had come around 10 years ago, right? Pre-Gronk. Um, Pre, um, you know, Tony Gonzalez still in the middle of his career. Pre-Antonio Gates. Mm -hmm. Like, who could have seen those guys? All three of those guys are better tight ends than Jason Witten. Right. But who could have who could have seen that those three guys would come and have the type of careers that they did while somebody else was waiting in line? Is that yeah. like another sort of a facet that really makes it difficult to know who's sort of a slam dunk to get in and who probably won't make it? It absolutely is. The goal, the the goalposts, to use a bit of an on the nose metaphor, always, always shift. Uh, I started following the Hall of Fame really closely like this uh, when I was in high school. And one of the players when I was very young that made me fall in love with football uh, was the field mouse Sam Mills of the Saints and Panthers. And when he came up, I was like, oh, they got to put Sam Mills in. They got to. They just got to. And they didn't. And so I looked and saw what the problem was. So I was like, I still think he's good. But now it's gotten to such a point with the backlog that I can no longer justify my pet project moving up because the standard of middle linebacker has raised so far. Just a couple years ago, you had Lewis and Erlocker both get in on the first ballot. There's London Fletcher. There's Teddy Bruschi. There's uh, Zach Thomas. There's the standard at middle linebacker has been raised so far that Sam Mills doesn't stand out as much as I thought he used to. And so now he's probably going to have to just hope someone takes up his case on the seniors ballot whenever he's eligible for that. Uh, and, and so, so the standard always raises or sometimes even lowers, uh, but this, 
but the standard always changes. And with catches especially, because people cite that a lot, lot, raw catches, that's changed so much in the past 20 or 25 years that it really took the Hall of Fame a long while to get their bearings. And so there was a backlog of receivers for a while because they couldn't actually determine, okay, well, who's actually better between Chris Carter and uh, Jerry Rice. We put Paul Warfield in with 400 catches and no one had much of a problem with that. What do we do with someone who thought was a Hall of Fairy good guy like Mark Clayton or Gary Clark who has 600, 700 catches? What do we do with Art Monk who has 900 and something catches but we never thought of him in that way? What do we do with all of these things? And it took them years for them to figure out what to do with the new catch totals. And if you still look at raw catches and nothing else, you might come away thinking something ridiculous like Keenan McCardell is more of a Hall of Famer than Michael Irvin. Because he has about 140 more catches, but he also played about six more years. So there's an obvious right. reason. For so, and it it's a sort of an argument about in the Hall of Fame about whether peak or longevity is more important. And ideally, the answer is yes. You should find someone with both. And and uh, Witten definitely has the longevity, but I am not quite certain he has the peak. He's what they call a compiler. Uh, and also the people that quote statistics about the Hall of Fame, the pro football is kind of suspicious about statistics. They take a very holistic approach. It's more it's more valuable to have a really cool highlight reel than it is to have a lot of catches or a lot of yards. Uh, to shift to the other borderline guy that's taking up way too much discussion, Eli Manning. Uh, well, he's currently about seventh in passing yards, but... That doesn't necessarily mean a lot. There are a lot of people who were in the top 10 when they retired that never even got to the to the semifinal cut, the round of 25 people. Uh, Dave Craig was eighth when he retired in 1998, and sometimes he gets left off the ballot altogether. Someone forgets to write that letter for him. Uh, Boomer Esiason was ninth, and he's got no hope and probably shouldn't. Uh, Go back even further. Someone like John Hadel used to be in a much higher regard than he is now and never made it into the Hall of Fame. Maybe the seniors take him up this year. I don't know. But if you're building your Hall of Fame case on numbers, it's going to get really shaky because the the context for the numbers is going to change, is be eclipsed, and the Hall of Fame voters don't are suspicious of numbers. They prefer their memories. So if they're if they would prefer their memories, does that mean somebody like Eli Manning gets in? Because I think if you if you if you had to base it on actual performance as a player throughout a career, I wouldn't think he would get in. Like if he didn't win, so like the the case I always hear for Eli Manning is well he won two Super Bowls right and he won MVP of both of those. But I mean Jim Plunkett won two Super Bowls and he won MVP of one of those. He's never getting into the Hall of Fame. Um, nope. So. Do you so by that token, Eli did have some good throws in those two Super Bowls. I mean, he, he I would say he probably deserved at least one of those MVPs that he won. Is he going to get into the Hall of Fame? Uh, I think Eli might have a slightly better case than Witten because the narrative is foregrounded in pro football, and so he's got a good narrative. But he also, uh, he also stuck around too long. And people are going to remember him being shot and brung down. That is something that hurt Ken Stabler's uh, candidacy for a long time. He was put in by the seniors ballot a couple of years ago. 
Of course, something else that hurt Ken Stabler was he tried to uh, frame a reporter for cocaine possession in Gulf Shores, Alabama. But if that happened today, Skip Bayless's head would explode. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's a little aside for lit for some other day, I guess. But Eli has a strong narrative case, but not as strong of a regular season case and is going to have a long and his long bad decline is going to reflect poorly and make us forget his relative peak. And there's never been a season where he felt like a top three or five quarterback. There's maybe top 10, but never top three or five. Uh, something that, and Eli, just like Witten is going to be competing with uh, Gronk and Gates and maybe Jimmy Graham, I don't know. Uh, Eli's going to be up against Breeze, Roethlisberger, Brady, Big Brother. All of those, all of those candidacies will be happening simultaneously. And the Hall kind of likes to take into account positional balance. They don't like to take on two of one position at a time. So it's going to be very difficult for Eli because he's going to be competing in miniature with the other quarterbacks, Breeze, Roethlisberger. They have the titles. They have the narrative, too. Uh, Rivers has the numbers and the uh, regular season accomplishments, if not the narrative. And, uh, you know, I just don't feel like Eli's going to get in. He, he might think, get a semifinals cut, but that's about as far as I see it going. I think when you bring into account that, you know, they only, they only take five each year. They don't mm -hmm. like to take more than one position at a time and then so you mentioned like breeze brady roethlisberger uh rogers perhaps philip rivers and you look at the people that are like the elite people right now like you're i would say based off how dak is playing this year he i think you probably consider him an elite quarterback deshaun watson um pat mahomes who won mvp as his first year as a starter second year in the league still looks this year like he's going to be repeating that type of season um those guys are going to be coming around, what, five or six years after Eli's candidacy starts. All those guys are better than, are better than he is, too. So it's like it's not just the guys that are, that are his sort of um, contemporaries that are going to keep him out. There's people coming behind him that keep him out, too. So yeah, people can like sort of get as mad as they want. but yeah, the bar's going to raise for what we expect out of a quarterback in the meantime. And we're going to look back on those Eli highlights and we're going to find them wanting. We, Or we're going to remember that we found them wanting at the time. And, uh, and another thing that a lot of people cite in bad faith, I think, is, well, well, he's definitely getting in. He's a quarterback from New York. And there is not a New York bias to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There are a lot of borderline guys who either had to wait a long time or are still waiting. Eli is, by my count, the third best two-time New York Giant champion quarterback not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Charlie Connolly from the 40s and 50s never got in. Phil Simms is still not in, and I think this year he moves over to the senior uh, ballot where he still won't get in. Uh, there are a lot. Harry Carson had to wait six years, and I think he was the last guy that got rejected at the final five state, and they ended up putting him in the next year. Uh, Carl Banks still isn't in. Uh, from the New York Sack Exchange Jets, Joe Klecko still isn't in. Uh, 
Mark Gastineau has never come close. Uh, Joe Namath, everyone makes fun of Joe Namath being, and they point to his interception total, and that's a different discussion, but Joe Namath had to wait. Those arguments were made at the time. Joe Namath didn't get in until his fourth ballot. No, we forget these little political discussions because uh, what happened with Namath was uh, the AFL voters and the NFL voters were still at loggerheads. It was sort of an old thing coming up again. And so they kept Namath out until the AFL voters decided to can play at that game. And they kept Fran Tarkenton out. Wow. And so it became, yeah. <laughs> and so eventually Namath gets in 85 on his fourth and then Tarkenton gets in. 86 on his third. There are all these wow. little internecine. That's a, that's another thing about the Pro Football Hall of Fame is there's only about 48 voters. So it gets balkanized and people you wouldn't expect get a lot of traction just because they have a small passionate group that argues well. It's not like baseball where it's like 300 writers and you have to appeal to all of them. I have no idea how the Basketball Hall of Fame works and that seems to be by design. You never hear about anything until the nominations are done. Yeah, well, with uh, with, with, bas- with basketball, like that's it's so different because mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's like there's not an NBA Hall of Fame. It's the like right. Naismith. It's the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you don't even necessarily need to be like a great basketball player to get in, or a great NBA player to get into the Professional Basketball Hall of Fame. Matter of fact, there's people in there that never play in the NBA. Like about all like the college coaches, the like, college Oscar. players. Yeah. So like Carmelo Whereas, should probably make it then, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, the pro yeah. football hall of fame, the pro football hall of fame is nominally like that, but there's never been a league with the longevity and staying power of the NFL. Uh, right. People will say they took Canadian stats into account. Uh, I think Warren Moon is really the only guy that's benefited from that. Uh, you're technically supposed to take into account USL, USFL stats, so I suppose you could say Jim Kelly and Reggie White benefited from that. Uh, yeah, the pro football is largely the same, but the NFL has such a huge corner on the market, and it's not really a global game like the NBA is. So that distinction means a lot less. Right. It's very true. It's very true. Well, I can tell you, you'll never have any shortage of discussion because every year, somebody that people feel should get in is going to get left out. And people, and I think the biggest thing is people yeah. don't understand that you know, the goalposts always move about who gets in, what sort of criteria do you need to meet to get in. And mm-hmm. honestly, I think if they would just do it with math, it'd be a lot easier. So, like, we, we talked about catches earlier, right? So, yeah, yeah. there's people that are in the Hall of Fame that are wide receivers that have, like, 400 catches. Whereas there's people now, like, you know, uh, like, like an Odell Beckham Jr. had 400 catches his first, like, three years in the league. <laughs> it's like... 400 catches is not what it used to be. But if you take that 400 relative to what people were catching back then, and you take however many catches Odell Beckham Jr. has relative to what people were catching during his career, I think that's a pretty easy way to say, okay, this guy was had And then, you know, in addition to, like, accolades and accomplishments and whatnot, then it's like, okay, this is a person that was head and shoulders above his contemporaries. This is somebody that has shown you know, throughout his career that he was that level of player. I don't think it needs to be as difficult as people need to, people tend to make it. But a lot of these sports writers became sports writers because they couldn't do math. So I understand. <laughs> and also, sports writers are incredibly petty. That's like yes. the number one thing. That's why T.O. had to wait. Self-involved. 
Yeah. I guess those two yeah. go together. But there's the old the metric they have of can you tell the story of the NFL without this player? Hell oh my man. god, I hate that <laughs> yeah, so much. That. I'm like, yeah, you you kind of can. You you kind of can. Probably. There's, I mean, there's like there's <laughs> unless unless like a trophy is named after him or yeah. he's that guy that invented that NFL slow motion. I feel like you can. Yeah, like there, there's very few players that you can't actually tell the story of the NFL without. If like if if that if that's the metric that we're going by, there should only be like five players, and then, mm-hmm. and then the football. Or alternatively, there should be like everyone because everyone did something. <laughs> by that measure, you should put David Tyree in for the helmet catch. You certainly can't tell the modern NFL without the helmet catch. So we need David Tyree in the Hall of Fame, don't we? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Throw everybody uh, in. Throw me in. <laughs> Yeah. Never played a down of football in my life, but I mean, I mean, I'm here talking about it, Madden to it. So there, throw me in. Exactly. Yeah, I think I've done a lot for the league. I was five years old when San Diego State's Marshall Falk tore up UTEP, and I was like, "That guy's good. I'm going to follow him." And that's how I became a Pro Football Hall of Famer because I was the five year old that scouted Marshall Falk. <laughs> well done. Well, do you you were ahead of the game. There's a lot of. Scouts at the time, they're like, I don't know, he's a little small. I'm not sure he's that fat. Like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's really difficult to get into. And there's really no shame in not being in. You can be like an all-time great player and not be in the Hall of Fame. There's lots of people that are. Especially especially since, like, just because you're in the Hall of Fame doesn't mean, like, you're famous necessarily. Like I'm, just, I'm, like I'm there's sure. so many people that are in there I've never heard of. Exactly. Yeah, the, the people that, and not even just like people from like the 40s and 50s and shit. I'm talking about like there's people in there from like the 80s that played while I was alive, and I'm like I, I don't know who that is. Yeah, so it's, just, it's just one of those things. Yeah, it's one of those things. I don't know who the fuck these people are, but you know they, they played football well enough to, <laughs> to be in the Hall of Fame. So good for them. Yep, and uh. Uh, this year for their uh, for the centennial class or whatever, they're actually doing something pretty cool. Is they're going to have an expanded class in addition to the five modern candidates, the seniors, which typically only get one or two candidates, are going to get ten. Oh, ten folks in. They want twenty for twenty twenty. So five modern, nice. ten seniors, two coaches. Usually coaches are jumbled in with the players, which makes it even more confusing. But this year they'll be separate and three contributors. I don't even. I can't even think of three contributors. If, but that's too many. What What does that mean? What What's a contributor? Uh, contributors is it's typically uh, GMs, front office guys, or uh, uh, league officials. Uh, that's how oh, Ron Wolf. That that one that one black official that used to just be really really like adamant whenever he like would make a call. <laughs> Mike Carey is his name. I think he should be in. Like that that dude made me interested in what the official was saying. Okay. No other no other official was ever ever did what he did. Okay. He was just so so passionate about officiating. Okay. I think if he's not in, I am Yeah, they should put in that back from the eighties that get did the uh, giving him the business call. Oh yeah, we need to really just broaden the the requirements to get in. All these people should be in, no question. First ballot. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Kit, thanks for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Always great. Personal by Ohio. 69. Offense. He was giving them the business. He played it there. <laughs> so this has been another episode of Run the Play. My name is Obes, as I told you before. You can follow us on Twitter at the CS Pod. If you're 
you know, person that likes to wait for things. You can also follow us on Twitter at RunThePlayPod. You know how to spell that. It's it's spelled exactly the way you would think. Uh, Shaw, <laughs> where, where, where can people find you at? Twitter, Instagram, at ShawIsNuclear. Check out my, uh, my tweets. Check out my IG stories. You can check out my work at NuclearKite.com. I am a musician. You know, I do, do it all. I do it all. And... I have a new album out, came out last month, last month being um, August, and it's pretty dope. You should give it a listen when you get the chance. You can listen to it's it right on the dope. website, right on the it's website, stream dope. it for free. And you can it's also an check incredible out, album. Yeah, appreciate it, appreciate it. And you can also check out my man Z's work uh, on the same website, NuclearKite.com. We, got, we just got dope music that's already out and dope music that's coming out in the future, you know? So we out here. Look out for my album. It's called Oops is the Governor. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> so for so for Ja, my name is Obes. This is Run the Play, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>